No, Carlos, I, I understand. It's been over a year since Bruce quit. I'm working on it, okay? We've got phone interview schedules all, all day, okay? Okay, Th thanks, bye. Hey, Jim. Oh, you're right there. Uh, okay, uh, where is the list of interview callers for the day? Well, Ernie, I've got, I've got some bad news. We, we have the list of the phone numbers, but okay. I printed out the list of the names on a different piece of paper. So just give me more papers. I, I can't find that piece of paper. So we have the numbers. Uh, uh, so we're fine, right? Uh, that's, I mean, it's not good, but I'll, I'll, I'll work with it. I told I you guess. it's fine. Yeah. I told you it's fine. Okay, fine. Uh, I, I just asked, I guess, when I... Hello, go for Jürgen. What? Jürgen? Oh, this was Franz Kleinman? Was? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is Franz. Uh, nein, nein. No Jürgen here. Uh, <laughs> who is this Jürgen? Not me. <laughs> wait, wait. What position would you play Tim Howard and Jermaine Jones? Howard and Jones. Hmm. Harvard would be a striker and Jones would be the center back? Aha! Nein! You always get out of here. They're always out of position, you Always out of position. And now, so are you. <sighs> Next one. Hello, this is Pele. <laughs> Pele? Oh, well, thanks. Uh, 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 hello there. Uh, how are you today? Pele is Pele. Today is particularly Pele. Uh, do, do you just use the word Pele for g good? You, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to roll with it. It's Pele. It's, it's very Pele to talk to you today, sir. Pele is pleased to talk to you. <laughs> Get it? Pleased. <laughs> that was... A very Pele joke. Pele. Very Pele. Okay, so first of all, what made you apply for the job? Well, as you know, Pele has spent a lot of time in America. He was with the New York Cosmos, as you know. That was I mean, a who could forget. A very, very Pele team. I heard they are back now and they are champions. Um well But Pele, uh, what he misses is the most what he misses most is the uh Warm, savory sandwiches that are both long and inexpensive. Sandwiches? Come again. Yes, Please. the most pele of all food products. Meat, vegetables, and cheese served a la carte on warm bread, toasted, if you so prefer. And all of this, all of this, only $5, the most pele of deals. Uh, pele, I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but Subway now charges $6 for their footlongs. What? That is very not pele. Not pele. What the hell? All right. Um. Hello, this is Ernie Stewart. Hello, it's Adrian Heath. Nope. <laughs> Hello? Ah, uh, you what, mate? You hung up on me, dad. You having a giggle, mate? You want to fight? Me and my mate John, I will pull your chain. Okay, last one for the day. I need a break after this. This is Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Hello? 
Uh, hello, I, t- I can't quite hear uh, you. Are you listening, Mourinho? <laughs> hello, this is Ernie Stewart? Yes, this is Jose Mourinho. Uh, okay, uh, thanks for t- taking my call. Uh, truth be told, with how utterly sad and moody you've seen on TV, I was thinking y- you might need a break before taking a larger role. Um, so why did you apply for the position? Well, I'm... I'm coming out of my cage and I've been doing just fine. Gotta, gotta be down because I want it all. And um, how is the Manchester United job going? It's, it's crawling in my skin. These wounds, they will not heal. Fear is how I fall. Confusing what is I'm, real. I'm sorry, Jose. I'm telling you, the Glazers are terrible. I'm, but I, I don't think you're right for this job. Um, but, I mean, hey, don't write yourself off yet. <laughs> it's only in your head you feel left out. I look down on. I have nothing to say. <laughs> We call it soccer, a podcast about two United fans. I'm Caleb. I'm Colin. And I'm Notch. This week we're live at the Black Heart of St. Paul. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Oh, you guys are too much. You people are crazy. Thank you. Thank you. The ho- As I look upon this vista of hundreds of people here, <laughs> it's wonderful. I truly appreciate all of you making time, bringing your families. We've got some grandparents here. Trudging uh, through seven in. feet of snow, all uphill both ways. The, the gift baskets that are over there, the cookies that people have brought in. I mean, really, who could have expected, you know? I'm going to tell David to touch you <laughs> after that. <laughs> So uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for a really long time, you know that I ask dumb questions to start us off, uh, to humanize the people on stage and or list that you're listening to. And so today my question is, guys, is this the best live show for a podcast you've ever been to? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was at the Love It or Leave It taping the day after my birthday, which just so happened to be the day in April where it snowed about two feet, and yet... I kid you not, 95% of the state theater was full, despite them canceling the show two hours beforehand, saying, hey, we're all right backstage. We're still going to do it if you are crazy enough to show up. Okay, for a second there, I thought you were going to say a podcast, live podcast, it didn't happen, is better than this one, where, where you're on stage talking to people. I mean, I don't have that high of expectations for myself. <laughs> Yes, it's number one. Don't ask how many there are. <laughs> no follow-up questions. I mean, the only other one I've been to is the West Wing Weekly. Any West Wing Weekly fans over here? Ooh. Anybody? No? Only these people up here? Okay, all right. Well, so I went to a West Wing Weekly podcast that was live. It's my favorite TV show of all time. Very excited for the live taping. And first of all, there were five other podcasts that they were doing a show with. So the part that I wanted was only about five minutes long on a 45-minute uh, schedule, which was kind of annoying. And then they had this guy who made the soundtrack for the show, which, I mean, I guess is interesting enough. But uh, 
was utterly boring. So hopefully we can exceed that today. Uh, we don't have the person who made the soundtrack because you didn't book the band. But uh, I wasn't thanks, told to, like, two until two minutes ago. So okay, all right, all right. Well, it's it's oh, it's high time we actually invite our guests here on stage. And to do that, I need to jump into our first segment, which is a segment that we call United Passions. Our sport has a bright future ahead. In the United Passions segment, we discuss the United. We are most passionate about, which is Minnesota United FC. Look at that. They applauded the team. These That's people are not Minnesota United fans right now, I guess. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. We got a fresh audience. Well, on this week's pod, we have two very special guests to help us cover a recap of Minnesota United's 2018 season, Megan Ryan and Bridget McDowell. So Megan Ryan is a sports reporter at the Star Tribune covering Minnesota United and Major League Soccer. She frequently helps also cover various other sports, including the Minnesota Wild and Gopher Athletics. Bridget McDowell is the official Minnesota United reporter for MLS Female, a growing sisterhood pairing sports reporting with the female perspective around the league. She's also a supporters culture contributor to the Daves I Know. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you all picked up on what that segment cue was. It was an excerpt from the trailer of the movie United Passions, <laughs> which <laughs> Sepp Blatter commissioned to cover a fictionalized version of the story of FIFA. Have any of you been unfortunate enough to watch it? No, it was on Netflix, nope. though, for a while, wasn't it? I, I saw it. I did not watch it, but I knew it was happening. I think it's one of those things that, like, Netflix starts autoplaying. You're like, no, 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 stop, <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, you end up watching it anyway because the remote's too far or something. But I think it, I think it holds, like, a 1% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. It's that Tim Roth bump. <laughs> Got him there. <laughs> Well, something that is considerably higher rated on Rotten Tomatoes, one would hope, is Minnesota United's 2018 season. Was it? Yes. Was it? Yes, Colin. Better <laughs> <laughs> than 1%. That, that wasn't an applause line, I guess. Um, <laughs> so uh, let, let's, let's dive in. And I always like to start discussions of what happened with setting the scene using our expectations at the start. And I guess I wanted to start with you, Bridget. What were your thoughts going into the season for Minnesota United? Where did you think this team, based on the signings that had come in, based on the, 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 the hype that was going, where did you think this team was headed at the start of the year? Well, on paper, it looked significantly better than the year before. Um, looked like we'd probably make some progress, at least, if not in defending goals maybe scoring a few in addition, you know, balance things out a little bit, unlike the year before. Um, of course, on paper, things don't always work out quite the way in reality, as we know with United, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. About that gesture That's is how I was feeling. It really sums up the entire yeah. season, honestly. Yep. <laughs> and Megan, what was... What was the kind of feel around the team when you spoke to players, when you spoke to coaches going into this season? Was there a lot of kind of positivity, a lot of hope? Uh, was, was it kind of... Um, yeah, no, I think there was. Like, all those guys are uh, fairly optimistic to start and then, like, slowly it erodes over time. Um, <laughs> but at the beginning, at the beginning, no, they were, like, I think they would, 
they didn't have quite the offseason that they wanted to from the front office perspective. They didn't quite add those pieces. I think Quintero came in in March, and that was like maybe something they were really looking to have earlier than, than that. So I don't think that necessarily uh, everyone was like, we're going to win the cup this year, but I did think that they did think that they were going to be better. Um, and they were better. I mean, my expectations for them were not very high. So, uh, I mean, I think they did a little bit worse maybe than what I had expected, but I kind of figured they would finish maybe slightly better than they did last year, but still not make the playoffs. And they essentially did that. So. I'm pretty sure that when you did your uh, call for tweets from Loons fans that I sent to you, Neil Young voice, only loons will break your heart. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was kind of my mood going into the season. I think we recognized that, yeah, the, the moves, particularly in defense, particularly in midfield, those didn't really crystallize, it felt like. It almost seemed like they were expecting some larger moves to come through that just never materialized. And instead, you know, yeah, once Quintero came in, he improved the offense that might have been the spot that didn't need improving coming into the season, but it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't really striking me to be optimistic about this team. I didn't necessarily think you'd have some of the massive swings, the highs and lows. I just thought that it would be kind of a more generally not that great team instead of one that just vacillated between really great and terrible. More of a mediocre. <laughs> Yeah. More like, well, <laughs> and in some of those games in late in the season, mediocre would have been better. Um, but at the beginning of the season, we had a, I think our marquee signing was Tyrone Mears. Um, don't forget Franz Bangup. I still don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying Brendan Allen? Is that him? Wow, that's a throwback. Right? <laughs> also a player we signed never played for us. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And we had a, a, a promise of a DP at some point in the season. And that promise came through, and it came through with, I think, I had low expectations for that, and that exceeded them greatly, I think is correct grammar. But uh, Darwin Quintero came in and played out of his mind. If you looked at the off-season signings compared to like mid-season signings, we definitely succeeded, succeeded more in mid-season with just um, Quintero and uh, Ibarra Prime. <laughs> He's the one who turns into a truck, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. He's a semi. How would Miguel Ibarra turn into a truck? He's at best. A oh, he's not. Mario to... is. Okay, fine. Miguel turns into like a smart car. So, <laughs> but like, a looking in the, smart in the car off season, I think yeah. we had high, we had higher hopes for the rookies. Looking what Abdul than Lila did last year, kind of spread the same from Toy and Amsberg at least. Manly had, you know, we knew he needed development, but he had trained with the team before, so we thought the team knew what they were, what they saw in him. So to see all those three guys not really pan out the way, at least I wanted them to, was really disappointing. So Megan, you said that it was a bit of an improvement over last year, mm -hmm. in your opinion. And mm -hmm. could you pinpoint the areas where you thought that the team has done better? I think in Taro's Certainly one of them. Yes. I mean, it, if you look at it just at paper, they did the same or worse. Um, I think you have to look at it more of, like, the vibe of the team and, like, where they're heading. Um, because I do think they made some good signings. Like, Quintero was a good signing. Um, I think Romario is very good. Uh, Rodriguez maybe hasn't quite shown what he can do, but 
I think he has the potential. I think that, you know, he came in at a really awkward part of the year and I, you know, the Christian Ramirez trade happened and I don't know if that kind of like threw him a little bit for trying to like step in right away and like fill those shoes um, when he knows that that was like a fan favorite person that left. So I kind of think that they've made a lot of progress with their roster. They've seen some people step up that were on the roster before, like like Miguel Ibarra kind of didn't have a super great season last year. You saw glimpses of it. This year he was really good. So you've seen some people step up. They've made some pretty good signings. Um, and I think in general they understand the kind of system that Heath is trying to play. Um, and Heath has shown a little bit of flexibility when it comes to his system. He doesn't just like only want to do the 4-2-3-1. You saw him kind of do some 3-5-2s, do some different things. So I think you're seeing things that are better. I, I, I obviously think they've got a lot of work to do, especially in this offseason, um, to kind of prove that. But I do think like incrementally there has been improvement made. It's just not really being seen in results yet. And it's interesting to say the fiber on the team is better, too, because with a new expansion team, with the wholesale changes that were happening before, that's something that's hard to build from the ground up. So second year of the vibe's getting better. There, so it seems like there's some positivity around the team within the locker room. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of that has to do actually with like the Latino faction of the team. There's that's like most of their signings have been those guys, and they're all very tight. Um, so like, and Alexi Gomez is not going to be here next year, but like he and <laughs> like Angelo Breaking and news. Darwin. And, um, you know, Christian, when he was there, Miguel, all those guys that speak Spanish are like very tight. Um, and like even the Brazilians are in that too, Maximiano and, and Bob and Ibsen. So they're all really tight and you see that. And I think that's actually kind of cool that like they're all here and, you know, they don't, this is a lot of them. This is their first time living in America. And so they've kind of found a little bit of a family there. Um, and I think they've tried to spread that to the other parts of the team. I see like Tia Son is gets in on that often. I think he like went to Fogo de Chao with the Brazilians the other night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A story, I, sidebar, a story I really want to do is like why all professional athletes are obsessed with Fogo de Chao. Yes. It's <laughs> like Escobar. the only restaurant they yeah. go to. I yeah. don't understand. Because it's delicious. <laughs> That's why. The I, food I, just keeps coming. So exactly. <laughs> the the problem, though, with all Brazilian steakhouses is that that salad bar always looks so good. But if you're trapped by the salad bar... That's less protein. If you go to Brazilian State House and go to the salad bar, you take hits out of that State House. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to stay. Dude. No. Also, <laughs> that like, it's for a show. Especially if it's lettuce, that just settles down really quickly and easily. Like, you can still stuff plenty of meat on top of there. I know this from experience. <laughs> so, so get, getting back to kind of the, the, our, the path the team th- took through the season, um, there were kind of these pockets of two wins and then like three losses and a draw, two wins, three losses and a draw, and somehow we managed to get four wins out of six games in July. And what was the Dr. And Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde quality of this team from? Like what, what caused some of that? TCF Bank Turf. <laughs> the million dollar question right there. I mean, it, part of it was... I think some road mentality issues, it didn't seem like they were quite pressing as hard on offense when they were on the road. That said, there were quite a few games at TCF where it looked like they were playing as the road team, and they were successful with it. They were absorbing pressure from the opponents, and they were able to you know, quick snap with a counter, get something going that way, and then knock teams off of their rhythm. I don't know what it was 
once they hit the road, but it definitely did seem like TCF was their secret bullet. It might have been the turf that caused other teams not to play their best players as well. Yeah. Well, just me really telling this year with the new stadium grass going in, if we didn't keep up these home results. That could definitely be kind of a asterisk next to all those wins, yeah. like down in the future, looking at if they're not doing well at home next year, and then you compare it to this year's home results, you're saying, well, the field is a factor, the visiting team, their roster is a factor yeah. coming in. Um, but when they, whenever they were coming home from a road trip, that first match was always the good one. Yeah. Typically the, the best performance, it seemed like they were the most relaxed. And then they kind of overthink things and play with the system a little bit more. And, and then you see that start going downhill again. One of, one of the biggest sources of frustration for me, and this started early on. My first, and I think my only road trip this year to an away game was at Colorado. And uh, seeing Colin over there who's uh, on that trip. <laughs> and it was just so soul-crushing to see us lose there. And I think I carried that anger with me when we played Colorado again, then played mm -hmm. San Jose uh, and lost there. And so we've lost, I think, these four games to the two worst teams in the West. And I can't explain it. I can't explain why that happened. And I, if, if there was some sort of a mentality issue, was there an expectations issue? What went wrong in those, those speed bumps? I mean, I don't even think the players know. Like, that's a question that they've been asked about a thousand times by me and others. And, like, you ask, like, what happened? Like, you're playing the worst teams in the league. Why did you lose? Or you're on the road again and you lost. Like, you guys know what to expect. You know, you keep saying it's a mentality. We have to push. We have to, you know, act like we're the home team when we're on the road. And they didn't do it. And, like, they, there was no explanation for it. Like, none of them. And maybe, I don't, like, I don't know if it's, like truly they have no idea like why this keeps happening or if it's like they do know but they're not going to like throw the one teammate <laughs> under the bus who like is you know being like else can we blame Lutzi Gomez now since, since he's exactly. gone yeah. so <laughs> we just do that right he's already said he's gone <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so I have no idea. I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer was. It was clearly like a huge problem. And I don't know if it was like a leadership thing, if they were just lacking somebody who was really going to set the tone because Calvo maybe would be the guy to do that. But he missed a lot of games this year because he had World Cup stuff and national team duty. And um, the other guys that were in the captain's arm band like Boxel did it. But I would think that was mostly during the homestand was when he was captain. Um, and then like Quintero's done it a few times, but he also doesn't speak like English as well so it's like I don't know if that was an issue I have no idea um but I think what was really interesting is when you point out the games that like were when they lost to San Jose in Colorado when I talked to Brent Coleman like at the end of the season I was like well what's your assessment of the year like what do you how do you think you guys did and he's like well when I look back at it I look back on games and I think about that Colorado game where I slipped and like cost us a goal and I think about the San Jose games where we could have won and he's like he named off like five games and he's like that right there if we had won those it's like 15 points and that would have put us in the playoffs and so like that's all I can think about is how we missed those opportunities which I think is really true because like this team like wasn't necessarily horrible but it's just they were so inconsistent and if they could have pulled out some of those games that they were supposed to win it would have been a very different season yeah. and it was just that one moment that would change things so much yeah. in each game if you look at the Lose San Jose games the first one the first game of the year San Jose didn't know they were bad yet so they weren't playing like <laughs> it yeah um, <laughs> honestly that's true <laughs> home game 
give up a penalty in the first 30 seconds. Yeah. Kind of sets a tone for the game. Colorado, the pitch was – there were players sliding all over the place. Brent was not the first one or the last one of Minnesota slide on that pitch. And the home game – I mean, for that one, I have no explanation. It was just maybe they were already – on the beach, we'd already been knocked out of the playoffs officially by that point. They had been knocked out the week before, so I, I definitely do think there was some of the just depressed letdown sort of play out there. But at the same time, you know, especially at those home games, you want them to be really taking the atmosphere in. You want them to be getting as much as they can out of the home crowd when you give up a penalty within the first minute against San Jose, that was a toxic, toxic atmosphere in the sports section that day. And it, it just felt like if there was any little bit of self-doubt for that team this year, that ended up dictating their play for the entire game. So that bodes well for our Allianz Field experience. I kind of feel like every time we mention new stadium or Allianz Field, we should have a buzzer that goes like, meh, 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 like a klaxon, <laughs> like new stadium incoming. Uh, but that's good. Hopefully, if, if atmosphere is playing such a big role, that should be a huge help next year. Well, I mean, is... it, I would almost argue that it wasn't playing enough of a role, that the players weren't able to feed off entirely from that. The problem that the Loons had in those bad home games was the fact that you know they would make an early mistake and that would set the tone rather than the rest of the atmosphere. In the games that they won, yeah, the place was rocking and the team could get immediately behind it and then it just kind of cascades from there. The flip side, unfortunately, also happens. So you mentioned tone, and I think one of the things that set the tone for the year was just this extreme amount of hype about these two international Cameroonian signings. And I don't want to pile on to Pangup and uh, Owundi. <laughs> I, I think they, they came in and, and you know, I, I'm really glad that, that we were able to go and scout them, bring them over here. I don't mean to pile on them. But I think that kind of was the start of the season for us. We, the, these, these were the signings that were hype. You weren't sure what we were going to have going in. Then a bit of a ways into the season. We had Nicholson going away, but then Quintero coming in. We had Ramirez going away. And we had these kind of tonal bumps that kind of, I think, the fans focused on because the results weren't there to kind of keep us distracted and, and pleased. So I, I want to focus a little bit on the signings and, and the new players who came in. We had a lot of a exits, of course, and we had 14 new players coming in, if you don't count Javier Gomez from the Super Draft. Uh, are there players who stand out as aside from Quintero, was particularly good signings this year um, that were successes from a scouting standpoint? I'd, I'd say Romario Ibarra. Yep. He's That's 23. Yep. He scored three times in the limited amount of minutes he's played. He's shown he can play an emergency forward, which going forward with Dunlady's injury problems and Rodriguez, if he's tweets that half again, he can jump in and be the man up top, no problem. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I still have hope for White Amsberg to become one of our best center backs. I dream of a pairing of Amsberg and Coleman in the middle, just barreling through, posing forwards, striking fear into them. But we didn't really see it from him this year. Uh, he was let on loan. He played a few games for them, and he came back. And the games he played on the road for us, he started, and we had given up, I think, one goal in each. It was RSL and DC, I believe. No, RSL and 
I mean, he also but played in the Red Bulls game, though he lost 3 0. But that was before he went on loan and got more minutes yeah, professionally. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Colin, for ruining my point. <laughs> also, we had like 56 goals allowed after Demidov left last year. So, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Cherry picking. That, that's what I was trying to get at. <laughs> it feels like we've been saying the defense is bad for years. Like that, that just should be yeah. the slogan on all of our graves. The defense isn't as good as it could be. Uh, bring in more, please. <laughs> scarf is, it, is that idea. a scarf? Is that a scarf next year? Could be. Could be. We, we know our defense is bad. Just hold it up. <laughs> <laughs> we know, guys. You're not special. Everyone's scoring on us. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about Maximiano? I mean, it's, he's been a polarizing topic. Um, brought in uh, after coming off an injury. So, yeah, um, I mean, I th- it's kind of hard to judge him because he had such a weird year where he like just didn't he didn't play for the longest time. Like he had that one away game at LAFC and then he like got kind of re-injured again and wasn't around. And you kind of saw some glimpses of what he could do towards the end of the year. I think like the first couple of games he played, he like got a red card and like just like got <laughs> a billion yellows. And it was just like very interesting. So he got a little better. I think he got a little more disciplined and maybe that's for the fact that he actually played some games. He had really recovered from his injury. He was finally feeling more settled in Minnesota. Maybe it's all of those things. And I, I kind of liked what he and Bob did as a pairing. Like I thought that they worked fairly well together. So um, I, I think it was like a little too early to tell because they only played a couple games together at the end of the year. But I, I didn't. I wasn't mad at, at Bob's addition, especially you know how they got him pretty cheap and um, seemingly out of nowhere. So. Honest question <laughs> about about Max Miano, like. Did the team think that his knee was in better shape when he came in? Eh, probably. Like, I think they knew. ACLs are so weird. Like, it had been not quite a year, because I think he did it in June 2017. So it hadn't been quite a year when he, uh, from when it happened. So I think they knew it was going to maybe take a couple months. But there was that, like, setback he had uh, sometime halfway through the year. I can't remember exactly when. Um, so I think that they weren't expecting. Um, and maybe I don't. Maybe it wasn't even just if the injuries healed. Maybe they just weren't expecting the kind of rust he had because I think he had a lot to shake off from that. And he came in at kind of an odd time when everyone was expecting so much out of another new signing. It was kind of a desperate plea for something to happen there, and then to have him have another setback and not be able to see much of that was kind of set the tone back for the players and for fans as well. So injuries is something that I don't think you can avoid reading any sort of article recapping our season or how we're doing. (laughs) And do you all accept that excuse? Or is this something that every MLS team has to deal with? Was it us losing extremely important players like Molino and Finley for the entire year? Or was it the lack of contingency plans for losing them? I mean, I think it's both, right? Like... uh I think the injury thing, like, yeah, everybody has injuries. That's true. And you can't necessarily use it as an excuse. But the injuries that they had were to, like, three very key players for them. And you're right. They don't have a lot of depth. If they had had more depth, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. And they kind of, like, like stopgapped, helped that throughout the year by signing other people. But, like, when it first happened, when Finley and Molina went down, when all of a sudden Cronin, like, disappeared, uh, that was a problem for them. And so I kind of give them that, like, yeah – in a perfect world, they would have planned better and like thought of that and they would have had more depth. But like 
I think we all knew last year they didn't have enough depth. And I, the offseason they had wasn't very good. So any kind of injury they were going to have was going to really hit them hard. Um, and that's why I think maybe there's some optimism for next year because, like, you know, Finley and Molino were their two best attackers. I don't think Cronin is coming back. I don't know that for sure, but, like, I would not hold my breath. Um, but, like, for your attack-wise, if you got those two along with, along with Quintero, like, I would love to see what that looks like. I think that would be pretty cool. I mean, looking at the injuries with Molino and Finley, if, with them still playing, I don't think Tabara has his breakout season. No. Not, I don't mm-hmm. think that happens. That's true. No, he's been he so good this year, and Heath, for whatever reason, doesn't play him as often as he should. I think back in the day, it was either, I think it was Bruce McGuire who said Medellin Barra's best position is on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. In general. <laughs> Controversial opinion. <laughs> yeah, and then if but no, it's it's his versatility. It's it's everything that goes into seeing Miguel out there. It's the energy that he brings. There's so many intangibles that he brings to this club. That yeah, you do need him on the field. I think maybe the bigger question in terms of this: How did injuries shape the team? Do we actually do the Quintero signing if? Molino doesn't go down. I mean, I think we do. I think I would hope I think that he we was would have. Out beforehand, and they're just waiting to sign him, and just didn't sign him before the season. But also, on the, in that same note, do we sign Romario Abara? I don't think we do. Probably not. Is Matt Miano coming in if Cronin's playing every game? You know, it's these things where we we don't know the answer, and we can't really make excuses because these players didn't play, but these players came in and played. I mean, Ibarra played out of his mind this year. It was great to see him play that well. Mario played pretty well in the, in the game, and Matsumiano got better as he went along. Do we see that from those players if Molino, Finley, and Cronin are playing every single game? I, I don't know. They I'm definitely like, had to play completely different roles than everyone expected yeah. going into the season without losing those players. Um, and having those individual attributes gone, you have those one or two guys who have to bring it all to the field, which was often Miguel Ibarra. Darwin Quintero coming in, um, kind of having to fill five or six places in two people. I'm going to resist the next question on the list, which is why is Ibsen deserving of a designated player contract and how many years <laughs> should it be? So I'm going to avoid that one. But I'm no. going quick, to give a quick shout out to Rasmus Schuler, though, who, I mean, talk about making a, a strong comeback for us. We were kind of big question mark hanging over his head, going off on loan, coming back. And I think he did make a pretty big entrance, and stayed consistent through the year. And got his first goal yeah, from Minnesota as well. Um, he, he looked good. He paired up, up well with Ibsen. Near the end of the season, that whole left midfielder inverted winger thing wasn't fun to watch. That but was weird. Start, start <laughs> him in the middle, let him be an eight, go from bots to bots, sub him out in the 70th minute, and I think he got a good starter slash death player with Rasmus Schuller here from here on out. Yeah, I agree. I think I think he was probably the biggest like comeback story of this year, yeah. being that he was like just kind of had to disgrace go back to <laughs> Finland <laughs> at the end of last yeah. season. He won a championship, uh, but he did. He, did, he won yeah. two. He won. He won the cup yeah, and the league. Awesome. I forgot about the cup. Um, so he had a good year this year. Um, and I think you know their whole midfield situation was interesting because it was such a disaster at the beginning of the year without Cronin. And I think a lot of those guys had to try to figure out how to fill Cronin's position without really being the person 
person that usually plays that position. So I was really impressed like that, that stint in July when they were doing really well and they had the three, five, two, those three midfielders that all work together. And especially Colin Warner too, I think did really well in that. And that was somebody that I don't think any of us were expecting. I think we all kind of figured he'd be like a bench player and then like quietly disappear after the season. And he really proved that, that he adds something and he can mold his game to kind of fit what the team needs rather than, you know, that's not his natural position to be the more defensive one. So I, I thought the midfield was actually one of the strongest parts, not, well, that's an overstatement, but like, it, like <laughs> the, no, it's not. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like strongest in the fact that I think they made some of the most strides this year. Yeah. yeah. I, that. Um, I, I think what I would say is that those strides probably haven't been to the point that these guys have made it very clear that nobody should displace them. I think we're still at a point where, you know, Rasmus playing as a number six, despite the fact that he's a number eight, you know, you can look at his stats. I think he still ended up leading the league in tackles per 90 this year, solely based off of the first 10 or 15 games where he really just had to play as the guy that was quelling the fire that is Ibsen. Um, <laughs> sorry, not GP it's true. contracts. Careful, <laughs> careful. But uh, a lot of these guys, yeah, they were playing roles that aren't entirely their best position. They did so capably, but they didn't necessarily do so in a way that says, "Okay, you can play this role as a starter on a playoff team." I think that's. The problem that the Loons have had is that they've had a lot of guys who seem to be starters on not that great teams rather than necessarily starters on teams that are that next step up. So moving to the defense, because we, we just talked about the midfield, I think it makes sense to kind of move around the pitch just a little bit. Uh, we got to give respect to Francisco Calvo and uh, discuss his season real quick, which started out being kind of um, rocky in, in, I think, several people's estimation. And I, I wanted to see how you've, how you, <laughs> thank, thank you for volunteering, Colin. Uh, if, if, if you think he ended it stronger than he started, was it even a weak start to the season? Or was that just some very high-profile mistakes? I think those high-profile mistakes automatically made it a weak start to the season. I mean, you know, if your role is to be the guy that's stepping to offensive players, you need to do so in a way that doesn't completely expose the rest of your defense. The problem that Calvo had was that he was making those mistakes too far back on the field. He was making those mistakes into the 18-yard box. And because you're making those glaring errors where you can actually get a reasonable shot off, that's why they turned into goals. So, yeah, Calvo had a weak start to the season. He definitely did improve after the World Cup. I don't know if that was just getting his head clear. Nelly didn't need to worry about staying healthy for Russia, making sure that his spot was still there. I think some of it also was the fact that Adrian Heath was more willing to provide defensive cover by playing three at the back, by playing him as a left back rather than a center back. You started to see Calvo not have to take as dramatic of a role in that offense or in that defense rather. And as a result, yeah, if you have cover for him, he can do some 
pretty solid things back there. Next year, though, we do need him to take a dramatic role in offense. Uh, you know, your Freudian slip, I think, is appropriate. He proved what he has as a striker, so... God, I mean, last <laughs> the hold-up play on that first goal, that was... Angelo should have taken some notes. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Other defensive notes, Mark Birch, best uh, left back oh in the world. Oh, God. <laughs> Best man bun. Yeah, he's got the greatest hair. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> My favorite part was like sometimes in practice he would like let it down and it would be like this like the world would stop and also be like, oh my God, look at his oh, hair. Dream. Uh, yeah, it was like literally one of those moments. Great hair. Um, uh, yeah, the defense, I mean, I think probably the person I've been most impressed with on this defense would probably be Michael Boxel for the fact that he came in in like a firestorm last year. And I feel like there was a lot of like just kind of been reading the fan base. People hated him because he, he took like Brent Coleman's spot and he's like the hometown boy, everyone's favorite. And people was like, oh, Boxel sucks. And like they just like <laughs> were really not a fan of him. And I think he withstood a lot of that and kind of quietly did his part, and for the, the largest part of the season was like probably the most consistent player. Like I think I can only remember maybe one or two really bad mistakes he made, but for the most part, like he, I think he was really solid. And he's actually one of those guys back there too that's a lot more like strong arming. Like I don't know, he's he's a lot more like he'll get in your face, and I think they need that nastiness a little bit. Um, and not a lot of other players are gonna do that like he will. Um, so he is probably the defensive player that, that I thought, you know, had the best season and really kind of proved uh, what he can add. I appreciated him coming in because then it was instead of always being focused on the back line and every single game, all you can you have no forwards to talk about, you have no midfield to talk about. It's either mistakes or a couple of really fluke great plays on the back line. Once he came in, everyone kind of oh we have a midfield, we have some forwards, we can score some goals. Having him be able to come in and just take the pressure off of everybody back there, plus being the brick wall that he is in, in terms of size, that's something that they were missing from... I, I have to look back at NASL with Justin Davis being the slide tackle guy, <laughs> get out of my 18-yard box. And I mean, Boxall is kind of a similar yeah, position yeah. for and me. Davis was doing that because he was running from 10 yards out of position. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he began to work. get to that cider somehow. Okay. Exactly. Uh, going back to the strong arm and this brick wall of Boxall comments, I had the chance to talk to him at the Dark Cloud charity auction on Monday night. And I mentioned to him that one of the favorite parts that he played a part in this season was when Sebastian Blanco of Portland ran into him in the box and then just fell over. <laughs> and he was like, what happened? No one hit me. And then he looks at me and goes, is that away or home? And like, it was the way game. Smiles, goes, it's not for a big guy, is he? <laughs> uh, uh, up front, we traded away Ramirez, and I don't want to get bogged down in that because I think that, that those takes are everywhere I've for everyone to see. But overall, going into next year, are we set in terms of offense or do we need more offensive players? Uh, I worry about the striker position, not to bring up Ramirez, but like... Uh, I think they are really thinking Abu is going to have a breakout year this year with how he ended last season. And he definitely, I mean, he has the potential. I think we've all seen that. But these injuries are a huge problem. And 
they seem like they've tried everything. They've, you know, mixed up his workout routine. They've kind of tried to do more strengthening exercises. He's talked to the athletic trainers. He's talked to like Quintero. Like he's gotten like advice from everywhere. And I think at a certain point it becomes a mental thing for him, which like I've, I've talked to him a little bit about it. And like, he says like, well, I'm trying to like make sure that doesn't happen. But like at this point, I mean, I, I think it's almost inevitable. Like he has missed so much of this season. Um, And so if he can get healthy and stay healthy, I think he's like a very admirable, like number two, if not like one B or whatnot to, to Angelo. Um, I think Mason toy has a lot of potential, but he just has not played. Um, And he got a little bit of time on, on loan in the USL, which I think was good for him, but they had to keep recalling him because Abu got injured and that really limited his development. Um, so I, it is a little worrying that like, if something happens to Angelo or if Angelo doesn't have the season that he, you know, is kind of primed for this next year with a full season, then I don't know, it's going to be a little rocky for them up there. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, every, none of them seem to be able to, to commit to playing that number nine. They're all, they're all great as like on assists and someone gets a flute goal out of it. But none of them can take that clean final touch to actually get the goal. And most of Angelo's two at home were kind of dumb luck. And it was... Yep. <laughs> dumb luck and a great cross. That was yes. a fantastic the cross cr- from Ben Sweat. Yes. The cross... <laughs> I know exactly what He wouldn't what have gotten meant. anything without that. Um, and I was watching that one in the in the stands and seeing him come through and I, I'm watching him come towards the goal and thinking this would be a time when if any time is a good time for him to finally score something now now would be the moment and it didn't happen in nearly the way that I thought it would but it did finally happen which I think helped everyone it helped his confidence seeing him in the locker room the next game he felt more confident and he he feels guilty that he hasn't been that guy other than a few goals saying that he felt ashamed about the last few losses. Um, but so much has been put on just him, and he's getting no help up there. I think that that is the kind of, I think tragedy is too strong a word, but I think the, the kind of knock-on effect of Ramirez leaving the way he did is because now that puts so much expectation on Angelo. Uh, exactly. Which yeah. And I think in terms of Rodriguez's abilities, it comes down to being able to accurately shoot. He's he's a less clinical finisher than Ramirez is. Hey, at least he didn't hit any capos, okay? <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Best player in the world apparently can't like, go leave Minnesota. Are you still bitter about that? <laughs> you realize that he was aiming for you, right? <laughs> anyway. But well, Rodriguez doesn't have the deft clinical shot that Ramirez does in the box. He's going to have to figure out ways to ensure that he's right in front of goal to get his head miraculously on a ball that you can't miss. He's got to find ways to intercede poor back passes. He basically needs to play mistakes and killer balls from Ibarra, Finley, Molino, Quintero. I don't think he can do it entirely on his own. Whether or not that's going to be enough at the you know 1A striker position, I think they're going to need to find some way to score 
aside from him. And that's probably where I'm most worried about the offense going into next season. We saw when Ramirez left and redished him in that Darwin Tintero, our best offensive player of the year, his numbers declined. And that's partly due because Ramirez was a proven goal-storing forward in MLS, and Rodriguez was an unknown quantity, so defenses didn't know to also cover him. Focus on the guy who's scoring, that's Tintero. So Ramirez is drawing defenses away. Rodriguez isn't. That made Tintero drop back more, which left Rodriguez isolated. And I don't care how good you are at hold-up play, you can't hold the ball up for 10, 15 seconds while your fellow attackers come up. And he's also not that good at hold-up play. But shots fired. <laughs> he's not. I see it on the subreddit all the time. I don't know why I so go on, but yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay away from controversial questions like is Darwin Quintero one of the best players in uh, the league? Yes. And what, what? Uh, oh, sorry. Go, <laughs> go go to safer questions like Bobby Shuttleworth, best goalkeeper on the planet. Yes. <laughs> no. Maybe. Um, apparently, Zach Steffen is better than him. Yeah, Zach Stefan isn't better than Tim Melia <laughs> or Stefan Fry this I, year. I, I don't understand to, it. Yeah, that made the, no sense. But the, the easy layup to start talking about XG and all those spreadsheets you work with. Oh, with please no. There are people here. They'll fall asleep. <laughs> I actually I already. I haven't been looking that way. Is yeah, I was <laughs> actually working on those spreadsheets earlier today. Like, I kid you not. That's the thing I was writing up today. Um, Weren't you at work? I wasn't terribly busy at work. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, it's post 1-1 proposal season. What, what, We're what fine. do you do for work, and what's your boss's name? Um, <laughs> well, my boss is actually out for some slightly tragic reasons I'm not going to go into. Anyway. Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> so, with Shuttleworth, yeah, he's he's done the job that he's supposed to. I think part of Shuttleworth's greatness is the fact that He's called into action as much as he is. I tweeted out the stat earlier today. In the last four years, over the guys that have been starting goalkeepers in MLS, so like playing 1,500 minutes or more or some sort of special situation, Shellworth faced the most shots per 96 minutes in the last four years of any of those keepers. Now, shots are up in MLS this year but not to the point that Shuttleworth is having to face every single time that he goes out. So yeah, he's going to let in some goals. He's going to make some really miraculous saves. I think he did kind of trail off as the year progressed, kind of regressed back to the mean. But yeah, I mean, he, he's, again, one of those kind of solid average level starting goalkeepers in this league. The problem is if Minnesota is going to be shipping so many shots on defense, you need to have someone that is well above average back there. Does uh, David De Gea still want out of Manchester United, or is he <laughs> is he staying put? I mean, did you see De Gea early this year? Did you see him at the World Cup? Yeah. Breaking it's news. Fine. We call it soccer hosts. Do not want David De Gea in Minnesota. <laughs> 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 not loop me in this. <laughs> um, well, when it comes to goalkeeper, I mean, I don't know. I, it's really hard to judge them because, like, the defense last year was so bad, and this year, like, it, it wasn't much better. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I hesitate to blame, you know, the goalkeeper for why goals are are going through. Uh, 
That being said, though, they are the last line of defense, and when you, like, break your own record for, like, most goals allowed, I think that that kind of hints at something. And when I talked to Bobby at the end of the year, like, I mean, he, like, straight up told me, he was like, I don't know if I'm going to be back next year. Like, I want to be, but I think there's a lot of decisions that have to be made, and I'm getting older. He's, like, he's 31 now, and I want to play every single game. I think that at points this season, I had my best play I've ever had in my career, but I don't know if that's going to be enough for, like, them to want to keep me. Um, and so I think that's really interesting because I, I considered him one of the more consistent players and in, in a team that is so volatile and the, the, there are players that have good and bad days like, you know, like clockwork. Um, I think he's been one of the most consistent people. I can't remember him just totally like, you know, blowing up at any point. Like, yeah, he's had better games than others. But for the most part, he's been pretty steady. And you need – I feel like on a team like this, you need people like that. Um, and I don't know. It's, 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 I think it's a little bit harder maybe to find – like some star caliber level goalkeeper. I think there's a lot of really good like American, like cheap, fairly cheap goalkeepers that will be like very serviceable. I don't know if necessarily changing that portion of it should be the focus instead of really like improving like your midfield and your defense. But I don't know. That's just me. I mean, it's nice when for a goalkeeper to get man of the match every single match, but at the same time, your goalkeeper is getting man of the match every (laughs) single match. So it's he was definitely most consistent in that he could come through at those clutch moments um, when you really needed him, and some other players just couldn't. But at the same time, he's, I mean, everyone's questioning him because those goals went through. Um, so he, I always hate to blame a goalkeeper as well um, because they, seriously, the very last person to blame. There's 10 other guys out there who should be able to keep the ball up front. Um, so going forward, I would, I would like to see him stay. I'd like to see Lampson stay as well. He's a decent backup um, in the position that he's shoved into every game. So it's we need to focus on everybody else. All right, well, there are a bunch of other questions I can think of, off-the-pitch controversies, talking about some of the landmark moments of this year. We didn't even talk about Colin Martin at all, so um, this is me laying up questions <laughs> for our next segment after the break to all of you out there, because I'm going to depend on all of you to, to ask you a few questions when we come back. So at this point, we're going to take about 10 minutes. If anybody needs to refresh your drinks, use the restrooms, uh, run away as fast as you can, now's your chance. <laughs> Welcome back to We Call It Soccer, and my co-host just burst out in laughter. Uh, my wife's hilarious, you guys. All right, uh, Taylor I, is funny. I want to take a minute to give a huge shout out to the guy who's behind me, Nick Rodriguez, our producer, who isn't typically uh, on the pod, of course, so you can't like hear him. I was gonna say see him. Is he? Ho- yeah. So he does a great. 
a lot of really great work and uh, podcast would not be possible because of Nick. Tonight wouldn't be possible without Nick, so a huge shout out to him. All right, uh, I was going to spend the, the Q&A walking around getting questions, but Nick's going to do that. So, uh, this leads me to, it's Q&A time! Did everyone come up with questions? I have a quiz. Oh, I could. No. Hard pass. <laughs> Please, Hard pass. no. <laughs> There's no homework in soccer podcasting. Not for you, maybe, but <laughs> I mean, there is time though. All right, so who's got the first question? And I'm going to ask you to real quick um, introduce yourself and then ask the question. And if you have a specific person you want to ask the question to, mention that too. Hi, I'm Fallon, like Jimmy Fallon. I say that a lot. Um, I am a fan of soccer, and I know producer Nick in real life. Um, anyway, this know question... Him. <laughs> know him. All too well. Um, this question is for everyone. How do you guys feel about um, Brent's contract extension through 2022? I'm personally pretty excited. I think it's great, but I wanted to know your thoughts. I mean, yeah, you said it. Basically, it's great. He's a young... Not young, but 20s, domestic cheap contract and he wants to stay here he's gonna play as hard every single day and we know what we died in Brent Coleman he's a to be uh, center back you, well you want him to come off the bench but you can start in a pinch I would actually say he's a little bit better than that um, I, I'm somebody that really likes to have a cover player and a step up player at the back Coleman has been really good when he's been the guy just keeping strikers in their back pocket. Like, his ability to just stick on the shoulder of somebody has been pretty immense for this team this year. The problem, of course, is that he's not necessarily somebody who... He's not as experienced with, like, the zone aspects of dealing with some of these top strikers. I think that he can still develop that. It's more of a mental thing rather than a skill, physical thing. So I think that is something that he can continue to add to his game. I think if he's given the opportunity, he probably could step into a legitimate starting center back role for this team. He's definitely somebody who's come up in a very different system uh, than some of these other starters. Um, if you compare him to Calvo um, or any of the starters that he's playing against right now, uh, being one of the, the mainstays from NASL, um, as a local, I'm really happy that he's sticking around. Um, I'm from the same area he is, so I uh, love that he's going to be here. He's, he's Brent. Um, and we, I do appreciate that he wants to be here and he wants to improve. He wants to be part of this system and this club. Um, so I think that'll be a good, it's a good commitment for him. I'd also like to mention that he's done better against Zlatan than Notch. So <laughs> this is very That's true. A good point. Wait, who said that? Where'd that voice come from? Thanks, Nick. It's the ghost again. <laughs> I was also going to point out that Collins just got past a beer on stage. So, I mean, it's... it's Life is fantastic. It is, it is. He's living his best life right here. Um, marriage is great. <laughs> Who's got the next question? You, sir, in the back. 
Hello, my name's Iago. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he's back from Korea. With the, with the, uh, in light of the Will Johnson rumors out of Orlando, uh, on a scale of one to ten, how funny is it that Ibsen finished with two hundred or two thousand ninety nine minutes? So, for those of you not familiar, Will Johnson got an automatic contract extension for starting in twenty six games. games due to his contract. He had an automatic one year extension. He started twenty five. Orlando and that was not relayed to Orlando's new head coach, James O'Connor, through the midseason. Continue. They found out when Will Johnson told them in like their end-of-the-year meetings with the coaching staff, oh, I'll be here next year. And they're like, what? Hmm? What was that? And Francis James, automatic one-year extension, which for a player like Will Johnson is not good. Also for a person like Will Johnson is not good. It's terrible for a person like Will Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Megan, I rate Ibsen... And some of it is a little bit of a joke, uh, which I, I, I will go repent for saying that in my shrine to him at home later. I, I didn't mean it. <laughs> I didn't mean it, Ibsen. Uh, That's why you won't allow us in the basement. Okay. That's yeah. so, but I, I think I, I like what Ibsen brings. He's a little crazy, but like he's got so much energy. And uh, Am I nuts? Um, I mean, I think if you're like on like the chaotic side of that scale, like you would... <laughs> You would love yeah. Ibsen. I, I like a little <laughs> chaos too, so I like that he brings that that aspect. And like, I think you, it's cool to have a player on a team because, especially on a team like Minnesota United, that like is gonna lose more than they're gonna win. <laughs> like, you you want to have a player that like could pull out like a really fantastic moment, and maybe it's not even a goal, but just like something he does, and you're like, oh my god, that was crazy. And it also could like horribly backfire, but it's also very interesting. Like, I don't know, I'm kind of on board with that side of it too, as long as he has like a midfield partner who's very giving, like Erasmus Schuler, like a Colin <laughs> Warner, who will like kind of have the broom behind him and like sweep up. He, he needs somebody to tame him, but. <laughs> I, I do feel detained. like it's it's like when that high school band smashes their guitar. If you're an older person, you're like, why are you doing that? That's expensive. Like, you're not in the big leagues. But if you're in high school, you're like, whoa, that's really cool. And I'm totally in high school with Ibsen. I'm happy for him to bring all that, like, big-time drama, arguing with the ref, like, you know, getting frustrated on the pitch. I love that stuff. It's it's fun. It brings joy to my life. For every back heel no-look goal he has, he has a pass to an Defensive. Yes, a back heel, no look pass <laughs> to, a, to Alfonso play. Davies. Yeah, but also I think Ibsen's season. Also, your love for him just summed up by his celebration of that back heel goal. We just like that's gonna work well in audio. I know, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those at home, knowing smirk. <laughs> Anybody else? Next question. Yeah, I'm Christopher. Um, Expectations for Colin Martin. I think I was expecting a little more from seeing him a little more this year. Um, I guess going into next year, what what are we thinking? Uh, I think Colin is, uh, the, the other Colin, is an interesting <laughs> story. <laughs> they, one has an E and one has an I. Um, <laughs> Both have two L's for some strange yes, reason. they do. Um, and they're also like best friends, which I find hilarious. Um, I, I think he's kind of interesting. Um, I kind of got the sense last season that that Heath really liked him because I, 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 I would always see them kind of chatting after practice and stuff. So, like, I don't know if they just have some, like, kind of understanding or if Colin's just, like, really willing to learn. But, like, he seems like he's somebody that's very dedicated. And I think we forget Colin Martin is very young. Like, he's – I don't. I for some reason keep 20, thinking that he's older, but he's yeah, like 23. 23 yeah. 
he's been in the league for like a million years because he was at DC for the longest time. Um, But he's like very young still. So I think that he definitely is developing and the games he's played. You've seen that, but I think Colin Warner's like resurgence, maybe kind of uh, dialed back what you were really going to be able to see from him because he did so well. So there wasn't really a lot of playing time for him. Um, But I think, you know, all the off field stuff that, that he's done this year uh, has definitely, you know, raised his profile and also raised Minnesota United's profile. So I wonder if that plays a part in it. And I think he's, he's done a lot of community events too with that. Like he was campaigning for walls and, you know, doing all these other things. So he's kind of become a bit of a name, which would make me think that like, he's probably going to be here next year and like, you know, continuing to develop. But I think that he's one of those players that is also struggling with not having a loan situation or not having a USL affiliate as he just doesn't get the playing time that I think he needs. Can I add to that? That's such a Minnesota thing. Mm-hmm. He makes his name off the field, which is fine, which is great. I'm a Minnesotan. I applaud that. What about the field, you know, the on-field experience? Because he did get more playing time last year. Or it seemed like he did. Yeah, his, mm-hmm. his minutes definitely dropped off this year. And honestly, I was surprised by that. I thought that particularly down the stretch when you had Fernando, Bob, and Maximiano playing together, two guys who are primarily defensive-minded, I would have wanted to see Martin in that situation because he's played as a number six primarily for the Loons, but coming through at DC United, he was more of a number 10. He was much further up the field, much more involved in the offense, much more willing to look for a quick, incisive through ball for a key pass. I think that probably is his best position, and I would have wanted to see Adrian Heath try and get some more of that out of him versus playing him further back, and having him be the distributor in front of the back line. It's something that he's good at, don't get me wrong, but I wonder if he's being best used in his role with Minnesota. Not just the fact that he's not seeing the field enough, but whether or not he can play a more offensively-minded role. If he gets a chance to play with a just lights-out defensive midfielder, I think you could see him blossom in kind of that Rasmus Schuler sort of way this year. Oh, I, I do want to take a minute, though, uh, to talk about the off-field stuff because I feel kind of very strongly about the fact that our team has the only openly gay male professional player in the world. Like, yes, indeed. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yes, very much so. Applause. But I think I was looking at it from the other side, which is so crazy and it's so sad that there's only one. And, and you know that there are more out there. And it, it kind of struck me as one of the things that I took away from kind of his announcement and all of the, the, the news that came out of that is that for many of his teammates, he was the first openly gay man that they had met, that they were able to ask questions to and, and talk to. And I think there's an immense amount of pride there for me as a Minnesota United fan to have mm-hmm. that player on my team. And... Uh, I, I really am hoping that he gets more, that he stays here, that he gets more out of this team, gets to play more and develop more into a better player. 
Yeah, I mean, that was a really cool moment. Like, for me as a journalist, like, you have, uh, not that you should have bucket list stories, but I do. Like, I have things I want to write about. <laughs> and, uh, like, one of them was was doing something about the diversity in, in professional sport and specifically, like, you know, gay players. Like, they're there. We I think we all know it, but it's like, they're not coming out or they're not, they're not making it public. And I, like, I, I knew about Colin for a long time, but I didn't want to, like, like it was just like a like a weird moment where I was just like letting him have it but it was I don't know it was a cool journalistically for me like to to know that was happening to be prepared for it and to get the first interview with him to have the story ready to like go out right after his announcement that gave context to his announcement was like really awesome um and I think that was just a cool it was cool to be a part of that moment like to to see the interest and to see you know people from all over the world commenting on it um I thought that was great. And so, yeah, I, it's amazing to me that there's there's only one, like, actively playing uh, out player in, like, any of the major leagues, ma- male professional, we should say. Um, I think that's really fascinating to me. And, I, I, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see if that has any effect on other people, um, other athletes who are playing. So I you know I, that was that was such a cool like moment and like almost like surreal to be honest like it was just like it was really cool it was really awesome to be a part of. Next question. I just wanted to give a shout out because it's Colin Martin's birthday tomorrow. It's oh. not a question Woo. for you. Everyone wish him a birthday on Twitter and <laughs> and if you see him in real life. Yeah, if you see him in real life, feel like get a picture, say happy birthday. Yeah, give him a high five. I wonder and if he's still a high five. Don't yeah. continue to follow the man. Hi, uh, Chris Clute here. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, I'm seeing a trend here. <laughs> I'm seeing nope, a terrible, question. terrible so. trend. <laughs> uh, should we expect Calvo to be the starting left back next year? Specifically, first game at Allianz. I think looking at the last few games of the season, that was his, those were his best performances. You saw him be able to move forward offensively without putting the defensive line at that much risk, which is, which, which, you, which, which is what he wants to do, is move forward. And he, he, can, he has that ability to play balls forward and, that, and unlock the defense. And you saw against L.A. and against uh, Columbus, he has a goal-scoring trait that he can break out. Uh, unfortunately, the goal against L.A. didn't count, but it uh, counted in my heart. You know, respect, <laughs> always. <laughs> but... Without any other signings, he's definitely our best left back on the team. He should start there. And I don't really want him to move back to the center. And I know if we sign a left back of starting quality, that Calvo will move back to the center. I think we should say that position is done. We had that lockdown for next season. Ford's on the center, buying there. Calvo's really funny because I feel like he's like the reluctant left back. Like he is very good. The fact that he's he hates that he's good at it. it. He hates it. Like I, he plays there for the Costa Rican team. He does very well there. Like I think we've seen him have his moments in that position with Minnesota, but he does not want to be a left back. He wants to be a center back. That's like his passion in life. And he like, and I mean, I, to his credit, I, Heath has said multiple times too, that he thinks that Calvo is like a very good center back and like has the potential to be like one of the best center backs in MLS and stuff. But 
I I don't for some reason he's better at left back and I don't I don't know if he's just like fighting like fate there. I'm not exactly sure. But I mean, like as long as he wants to play it, I think it's gonna like he's gonna be always in Heath's ear being like, move me back, <laughs> move me back. Adrian Heath says that he's got the potential to be one of the best center backs in MLS. Adrian Heath has coached a team that over the last two years has shipped 141 <laughs> goals. So <laughs> I, I don't know if I trust his opinion on this. And um, he yeah, can, he can want to be a center back all he wants. When I was eight, he wanted to be an NBA point guard. Look at me. I'm not. Gonna, it's not going to happen. Okay, guys. <laughs> He's wiry enough. I mean, <laughs> just wait till Jurgen Klinsmann is here, and then we'll see Francisco Galvo <laughs> goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, goalkeeper. Yeah, it's out. Uh, one last question for the pod before we turn the recording off. Anybody have a last question that they'd like to ask? For the guests, um, Megan, one of the stories that I liked, enjoyed, and I think a lot of people did, was the story with Jerome and Boxel and the parenting stuff. Any more of those or anything that you're most proud of in the last year or so in terms of writing and stories? Mm -hmm. It's a narcissistic question. I, I love I these know. ones. <laughs> I was just talking about myself. Um, yeah, the, as I, I refer to that story as the dad story. That's like how I like reference it to my editors. Um, that was one of my favorite stories. I think it was one of my favorites because I, I kind of went into it with just the idea of like being like, they're dads. What's that like? Uh, and that was really it. <laughs> um, but I knew that Boxel had a really funny daughter because she's all over Instagram and like I know, yeah, I have a pretty good relationship with him. So I knew I could set that up and then Jerry showing up with his wife was like completely unplanned. So it was, it was really funny actually. But I like that story a lot. I think it was interesting that that was the story I got the most reaction from, from you guys, like from the readers was that everyone loved that story and they're like, oh, they're just like us and I feel like I know them and all that stuff. Uh, and it was just kind of a simple little story. It didn't, it wasn't like earth shattering in any way. Um, so I was really proud of that one. I'm proud of my Matt Lampson story a lot. Um, he just won humanitarian of the year for the work he's done with cancer patients. Um, yeah, give it up for Matt. <laughs> um, but I liked that story a lot too, because, uh, it, it was a story that had been written many times. Um, but hadn't really, I don't feel like anybody had really grasped who Matt Lampson is because every kind of story painted him as this like great, like saint, like guy, which obviously he's an awesome person, but he's also like kind of a curmudgeon. Like if you've ever spoken to Matt Lampson, like he's very surly. It's, it's like a little like off putting at first. Like I remember my very first interview with him, like in training camp, um, I was like, Oh, hi, I'm Megan for the Star Tribune. I asked you a few questions and you just got traded here. And he's like, well, are you any good? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I, I think so. He's like, well, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> and then after the interview, I was like, well, how'd I do? And he's like, you're a little vanilla. And I was like, Whoa. this is the first time talking to you. I'm not going to like break out the hard questions. Um, so anyways, I wanted to capture that side of Matt Lampson too, which I feel like I, I adequately portrayed. So that was good. And then the other one would be the Colin Martin story, just because that was such a big moment. And um, yeah, that's cool to be a part of. What about you, Bridget? Do you have any favorite things you wrote this year? I feel like I wrote a lot of the same thing week in <laughs> and week out. Yeah. Um, and especially early in the season, we had so we have the Slack channel for MLS Female, and they're like, hey, things have been kind of slow up there. Do you have stories to share, like things off field or, or like news of any sort? And I was like, nope. <laughs> There's nothing happening up here. So that is why I, part of why Pang up and all the Cameroonian signings were a big deal because they came at the right time. Um, but no, all these 
all these stories of the off-pitch things with Colin Martin and Matt Lampson um, and some other things that came up through the year, um, seeing the personalities of these guys and in the locker room. And my favorite thing was to see them all interacting together in the locker room after games. Even after losses, they're joking with each other. You can kind of see who all the friend groups are, and you start to see why they work the way that they do on the field um, from those interactions. So um, just seeing that side of them was kind of big for me in understanding how this club plays, um, how they all work together. Um, so just you know, getting a different perspective for me this year, because that's the first time that I've been on this side of the game. So that was kind of my, my big thing this year. All right, well, it's time to end the podcast segment. So you're gonna, everyone over here is going to hear me say goodbye, but stick around. You're only going to have a chance to ask a couple of questions. Maybe Johnny Steele has a question uh, <laughs> coming up later. And or Aaron uh, Pichtelin or <laughs> so, Jack no. Blake. So you're going to hear me Jack say Blake? goodbye, but you also Jack stick Blake. around. <laughs> but for everybody else that's listening at home, uh, could, Bridget, could we start with you with your sh- sharing your Twitter feed and where they can find your writing? Yes, uh, on Twitter, I'm at BC McDowell, um, and I'm on MLSfemale.com. Uh, hi, I'm Megan. <laughs> you, can, you can follow me on Twitter at the other Meg Ryan, and you can also read me. <laughs> that always elicits a, a good laugh. Um, at the other Meg Ryan, or you can uh, read my stuff at the Star Tribune. It's a newspaper. And it's, <laughs> and it's also a website, StarTribune.com, so subscribe. <laughs> I'm at Olson 716 Also on Twitter, I found out a, a new Twitter account that takes uh, Joel Olstein's tweets and <laughs> changes the word God to your dick. It's what? called Joel Donstein. Please follow it. It's hilarious and I love it. Go on, Colin. Follow that. <laughs> uh, Damn it. Um, you can find my tweets at the attachment. Uh, you can find my writing over at E Pluribus Lunum. Um, damn it, I got nothing. I mean, I also I, write for 55 1, so yeah, that, there's a that, thing there. Well, you can find this podcast uh, at TWO United Fans. You can find me over there as well. And you can find our producer, Nick Rodriguez, at Nick Rodriguez. You can find this podcast also on all of our typical feeds where you will find next week's episode probably a few days later. We're going we're gonna to record some on Monday or Tuesday, so we'll see you there. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>